Did you raise your hand? Hello, and welcome to the Four Color Nerds Comic Podcast, episode number 29. I'm Christina, and I'm joined by the other nerds, Ryan, Rory. Hey, hey, hey. Together we take on this week's comics. Each week we read a variety of comics and gather who discuss them. This is a review show, so there will be spoilers. If you don't want to hear spoilers, take a break now, go read your week's books, and then come on back. Each week, one of us picks their favorite book of the week. That's our pick of the week. This week, I am that nerd. This week, the pick of the week goes to Black Eyed Kids, issue number one. Written by Joe Perrett, Simon, I don't even know, Kurdansky. Let's go with that. <laughs> Good enough. Our companion song for the night is Into the Black from Chromatics. It's a cover of a Neil Young song. And if you read this, or listen to this while you read this book, it's even creepier. Out of the blue. Into the black They give you this But you pay for that And once you're gone You can never come back When you're out of the blue Into the black Black Eyed Kids, <laughs> number one, uh, by Aftershock Comics. It's awesome. I don't even know where to start. It is creepy as fuck. Creepy is the word, Creepy too. is the yeah. word. The way I... I did, thankfully, I did not read this at night, because like with Clean Room, <laughs> this is not bedtime reading. This is, if you read it at bedtime, lock all your doors, because holy shit. This is another winner book, I think, from Aftershock. We've seen... I think this is our third pick of the week of Aftershock? I don't know if Insects has ever gotten pick of the week, but we reviewed a lot. Yeah, you know why? It's because it wasn't available digitally. But it should have been. It's awesome. So, this book, it starts out, you see, I mean, this is a great book because it's all completely dark, so it even yes. gives you a more creepy feeling to the book. The shadows are so heavy. Yeah. The sounds in here are also creepy, like like the shook shook sound. Mm-hmm. Where's the weird noises? The ch- Ah, like that noise. I had that feeling throughout the whole book that that was just that that was it. Like that was the creepy, creepy, eerie, eeriness. So we meet a family. There's a kid who's in his sister's room, and she's like, "He's not leaving," and he's freaking me out. And he's just staring outside, like they're coming. And I have it's like they're here. They're coming for us. I guess that sets the tone of this book, like, you know something horrible, horrible is going to go wrong. We get through a series of just some crazy, crazy shit happening. We see the kids. We got black, We got the kids with the black eyes. It's so good. I don't even want to spoil anything for anybody. It's just so mm-hmm. fucking good. I really don't, because I think everyone should read this. I don't even like horror books. Like, I don't like horror movies. Oh, who are you, Christina? I know. I hate fucking horror movies. How I have I been friends with you my entire life? I know. I, that is the one thing, like, I've always hated horror movies, but I like books and comic books that are horror-based. And I, I talked to this about my husband, which is so weird. Like, him listening to me talking about comic books is like me listening to him talking about, like, wrenches. <laughs> We're both excited about things that neither of us give a shit about. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he explained this, he's like, you like it because you're in control of what's happening. I can stop reading I mean, I could turn off the movie, but I control how I intake the horror. That's thought was a really interesting explanation, because otherwise, I would not read this book. <laughs> I wouldn't read anything horror. But I can, like, I can, I know what's going to happen next. I can turn the page and go, nope, not going to read. It was great. I know everybody loved it. I mean, Carissa, who's not here, also loved it. 
So go ahead and sell, sell me on your love on this book. Visually, I mean, this is just a feast, really, when it comes down to it. The art, it's not overly, like, super-duper complex, but just the coloring and everything is just really sets the mood the entire time. This is just a horror masterpiece, in my opinion. They're, they don't need to overdo it, and they don't, and that makes it creepier. The story is creepy as shit, and I'm, I'm with you, Christina. I really don't want to ruin anything on this one. This is just... It's just one of those ones that just get your ass down to your local comic book store and pick this thing up because it is just brilliant. And it's only $1.99. Yes. Oh, can't beat that. Which is hilarious because when I tried to buy it, it didn't ring up at my comic local comic book store. He's like, it's not working. I just have to manually type it in. It is that evil. You don't buy it. You, you sell your soul for it. Black Eyed Kids is really good at building tension and a, like a mounting sense of dread. The book is mysterious and mm-hmm. creepy. It, like you said, Roy, it doesn't overdo the horror at the beginning. It, it builds really slowly. There's lots of creepy, weird things that happen, but you're not actually shown that much. And in that way, it's very similar to like an Alfred Hitchcock movie or the first Alien movie or even Jaws, where lots of things are suggested and hinted at and you see you know, shadows of things, but you don't actually see the things yeah. themselves until later on in the story when they are revealed they're that much more dramatic because you've been building this sense of tension for them. I really enjoyed the book. I thought it was very well written. The art was really good. It was a measured tone. It's easy in horror to go over much, but they showed a lot of restraint, and it was that much stronger for it. Oh, yeah. We're going to learn a lot more, like little bits and pieces. Yeah, if somebody ever asks you if they can come into your house and you haven't, like, slammed the door on them, never, never, ever tell them come in. No. Did you guys notice that uh, the dad was watching Silence of the Lambs in... uh... Yes, I did! Oh, my God! Oh, my God, thank God you picked up on that, too, because I was like, holy fucking shit. I was like, this is amazing. This whole book is amazing. I could not believe... And it's the white horses part. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's awesome. Would you fuck me? I would fuck me. Fucking great book. Yeah, it's obviously what we're all going to give it because we've all been sitting here ranting about this. Uh, so the interesting thing I think is going to be what our what our uh, stars are going to be. <laughs> <laughs> I will give it four and a half snowflakes. Snowing. Ooh, snowflakes. That's a good. Oh, how am I going to follow that? I will give it. I can give it five puddles of blood. Yes, I loved it. I will give it four and a half sleepwalking children. Nice. Nice. So we have another book. We have Red Sonia. So we've got Red Sonia number four by Marguerite Bennett. And, oh shit, it's only got the fucking second name. <laughs> that's the name. Yes, that's what she goes by. Oh, really? Oh, well, never mind. Uh, Anarchy? That's kind of cool. That's very Prince sounding. So yeah, that's that's the issue we're, we're talking about here. Red Sonia, yes. As some of you out there may know, probably not many of you, uh, I'm a huge Conan fan. And not only am I a Conan fan, but I'm a Red Sonja fan, so I was pretty ex- I pretty much jumped on this the second I saw it. Really fun book, as typical with all the Red Sonja titles. Nice, strong female character. So the story basically goes is that uh, Hycania, I think is how it's pronounced, is being taken over by uh, Savas, who's basically like the king there, as far as I can figure out with what they're throwing at me on this one. So they're hunting after Red Sonia and her sidekick, uh, Midian. And so, basically, they're yes. having this conversation about why, you know, about how they're going to, like, handle this big, huge army that's taken over uh, Hycania. And Red Sonia basically realizes that, you know, she can't just 
you know, march in and, and kill an entire army, you know, or she could try, but it's not really going to work. She needs somebody who could speak, a politician, an order. Her and Midian head and find one of her friends, Lena. She has all these, like, allies and stuff like that in this, like, garden, which she, you know, tells them that she's got, if she was any of these outlanders or people who weren't corrupted that were basically her followers, would be anywhere. They'd be in the Pantheon. Now, in Hycania, you know, it's like the center realm of the whole Conanverse, I guess, if you want to say, what, what is it, Hyboria? It's like the center center country in between, like, all the other countries, so it's it's usually, like, this big, like, kind of, like, cultural melting pot, because all these different all these different merchants and whatnot go through there. With this Savas that's taking over, he's basically started purging out anybody who's not of Hycania and getting rid of, basically, any any outsiders and stuff like that, going super Trump on the, on, on the nation. They're building a wall. Yeah. <laughs> And then some. So they go to this pa- this pantheon, which that's one of the big big things of Hycane is it's one of the only places that has a temple to all of the gods because they're this like m- uh, little crossroads of the, all the nations. So they go in there, and when they go into this this temple, they're like looking around, and then all of a sudden through the windows, uh, these three these three uh, very similar to Red Sonia looking ladies go busting through the through the window and confront her. Uh, one thing that I will point out while I'm going over this particular section is that I don't know if you guys caught it, but Red Sonia used to be put in a chainmail bikini, and then eventually they put her more of a conservative what she wears in this particular one, with the, the chain shirt and having her ass hang out and stuff. And then eventually they went back to it. So to me it was kind of funny that these three Red Sonia imposters are wearing the chainmail bikinis because I don't know that that just cracked me up. I don't know if you guys caught that at all. Those three other women, the king knows the Red Sonia is like a hero of the people, so he wants to kind of use her her image to rally the people behind him. But Red Sonia doesn't want any part of it, so he's made these three women to look like her and basically stand in for her. And now they want to hunt down the original Red Sonia and kill her. So they're in this temple and they have a showdown. And yeah, they announce that they're basically there to to basically like take over. You know, because I guess they were followers of Red Sonia, and so they're basically like they want. Oh, there's going to be more of us, not not just you. So they get in this big fight in the middle of the temple. Red Sonia starts kicking some major ass, and then they set the temple on fire. It turns out that they barred up all the doors so nobody could get out. And then Raka, I believe his name is, all of a sudden out of nowhere, kicks in the door, runs in to save the day, and gets speared right in the chest. Which I thought was it was kind of like you know like in pro wrestling how you get the run-ins and the guy will come like running down and like, the music will start playing. And the crowd goes wild. Usually it's like they run in and it's like they start like power bombing people through tables and hitting people with steel chairs and stuff. That's what I was expecting Rocket to do, but you know, then he just got basically executed the second he came on scene. So that was kind of anticlimactic for me. He does the running and then like whoever it was that he was running in on just jacks him. Rocket gets killed immediately, which pisses Red Sonia off beyond belief. He's like, I'm here to save you. So then she really starts whooping the other wannabes' asses. Eventually one of them grabs Midian and uses her as a hostage, goes runs off, escapes, you know, because obviously, you know, she's not going to sacrifice her friend. The next scene, it goes to where Red Sonia's burying Raka, and during that, she talk, she starts talking about the curse of those who care for her, and she's got this curse where anybody who cares for her is going to die. So that's kind of the, how she ends it up, as she mentions how Savas claimed to care for her, so she'd be the worst cursed of all. That was a pretty, pretty cool way to end it, I thought. Let's see here, the artwork, I think, is g- clean, but like it's clean and it's good coloring's really good a lot of good shading going on in there but it's like nothing groundbreaking for certain 
but that's kind of like traditional in Conan comics. I think usually is that it's usually just clean, simple, simple uh, penmanship. It's just never anything that's overly complex, which it just leads to it. The story's good, but if you really want to get into it, it's like I'd, I'd advise going back because there's a lot of stuff going on in a very short amount of time. Red Sonia is very good if you like your sword and sorcery tales like Conan and Red Sonia. This will fulfill that need very well. Marguerite Bennett is a great writer. The art on this is really good. It's got it's full of action and adventure. There's some intrigue going on. There's some more introspective parts where I think you were talking about it, Rory, with like the curse uh, is she's under and it's it's overall it's it's very enjoyable for a good romp. So I reviewed actually Red Sonia number one. That was my pick. So we have we have reviewed Red Sonia before. The thing you were saying with the artwork, I totally agree. Pick up, look at that first issue though, because they're so the person who does the cover is Marguerite Savage. Panels in there, and they were goddamn gorgeous. The first issue is super beautiful, and you learn it. I mean, I think you could actually even go from the first issue just to this issue and still be okay. Because the first issue does fully explain the setup of the story about what happened to the first king and what's hap- what happened after because she actually was, they wanted her to take the throne. And it, there's a great fucking panel in that where she's in her head having like, you know, a daydream of I'm going to be the queen. And she's like, no, I can't do that. That was awesome. But I love this. I love, I love Red Sonia. Red Sonia is written by Marguerite Bennett, who is my secret girlfriend that my husband doesn't know about. Which I've said this many times. She did um, Angela, Queen of Hell. <laughs> she does the other creepy Aftershock book. Love, 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 love her. Angela 1602 was probably our first introduction to her writing, and it's freaking fantastic. Absolutely love her. She do- does strong female characters in an amazing way. So I will always love anything that she writes. <laughs> Hands down. <laughs> if you like Marguerite Bennett, this is a good example of her work. This is the first Marguerite Bennett story that I think you've read, Rory. So that's kind of interesting to me to see someone react to her her writing for the first time. To me, I really enjoyed this book. The artwork is good. It's simple. Uh, just like Ryan and Christina said, it's it's an awesome addition to the genre. It's definitely, it's, it's definitely, it keeps the feel for sure. So there's one little point in there where they talk about her uh, Red Sonia's evil exes, uh, a la the whole uh, Scott Pilgrim thing. So I'm giving it three and a half evil exes. <laughs> Fuck it. I give it three and a half chainmail bikinis. I will give it three and a half impaled dudes. We have Clean Room number seven from Vertigo Comics, uh, written by Gail Simone. John Davis Hunt is the artist. Quentin Winter is the colorist on this book. This book is a consistent favorite of ours. It's always really creepy and disturbing. Yes. The art is super crisp and on point. I personally really love the character design for Astrid Mueller. I think she's one of the best looking characters in comics, both in design and she's just she looks really good in, the, in this book. She looks very composed and in control in what's going on. So this one is actually kind of a standalone story from the main arc. This is the story of Astrid when she's she's 17 in this, and she's hitchhiking across the country to go visit someone. She gets picked up by this creepy guy who picks up the teenage girl on the side of the road as a hitchhiker and proceeds to kind of hit on her, and she just verbally tears him apart, um, tells him he's not a good person. I don't know if that means that she has psychic abilities or she's just really good at reading people, but she, she demolishes 
him. Then she goes to the hospital where she's visiting this girl who she and her boyfriend went to a makeout point and were abducted by aliens. The boyfriend ran when the aliens uh, came, but the woman was abducted and basically she got split in half being vivisected by these aliens while she was still awake. She said that she could feel everything. There was no anesthetic and also that, that she could hear this eerie noise that she didn't know what it was because it wasn't a human noise, but she knew somehow that they were laughing at her while they were doing this. So it's, it's really disturbing. And then oh, Astrid uh, goes to the clean room, which we find out is based on like alien, those rooms that the aliens take people to in the abductions, that that's what the clean room technology is based on. And she's able to go back into basically the past and see when she was hit by the truck and has the option of basically going back in time to prevent that. But if she does that, then she won't be someone who can see these aliens' appearance and be able to do something to stop them. So she chooses not to prevent that from happening to her. That she uh, basically chooses to sacrifice that. It's always been a question to me if Astrid is a good person or a or not a good person in this. Like, she's clearly out to save the world, but in order to do so, she does really bad things. She uses people and manipulates them to get them to do what it is she needs to do. I think overall, she is definitely out to save the world, but she's yeah. not a nice person. There also was a, a point in issue one where there was this black panel where it was her looking at her father, and she said something like, uh, Daddy, why is your face made of snakes? And in this panel, in this issue, we get to see a panel that explains what it is she actually saw. So that's kind of disturbing. Overall, this is very strong. I think as a standalone issue, this works. You don't have to have read any of Clean Room to understand what is happening here. It's a complete standalone story. Uh, it's very, very good. I enjoyed it very much. I was a big fan of Clean Room. Always have been, probably always will be. Every issue has been so good and the, the consistency in the artwork is amazing and the creepiness of flesh and monsters and horrifying looking alien things is just it's getting creepier and creepier as it goes along it's fantastic and awesome yeah i love love it this is my introduction to clean room and i have to say i couldn't be more pleased because i've heard you guys talking about it on the previous podcasts and i hadn't gotten around to it in the you know past because you guys don't know how i am but i i gotta say this is this is just fantastic these the aliens they're not just your typical aliens these are like hellraiser type aliens and that's just fantastic the whole issue just the 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 artwork is excellent the coloring is vibrant and creepy and you just it has this scuzzy feel to it the entire time that just creeps you the fuck out and i fucking love that i seriously i I couldn't be more pleased like when i got the second i started reading this i automatically knew i'd found something special i love it yeah this just like you guys said uh, i can't imagine this getting any worse and uh, it's just this top notch. You can't get any better than this. This is comics creme de la creme. It's daytime reading. It's daytime reading only. Yes. Um, I'm gonna give it five ran over little girls. Oh yeah. So creepy. Anybody who thinks that comic books cannot put a serious adult theme across, read this fucking series. Read every goddamn bit of it. <laughs> Gail Simone is is mastery. Like what she does. This book is so freaking creepy and awesome. I'm gonna give it four uh, crazy bitches, because that freaking monster that was like, crazy bitch, straw bitch, 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 I, was, I like that. <laughs> oh, that was so good. Yeah, it's, people aren't supposed to act like that. It's beyond violence, it's beyond, it's beyond normal interaction. It's, it's scary, because it's like, they're just doing all this profane shit that people just don't what do. What I like, though, <laughs> is they start out always so sweet and nice, 
and talking, you can tell, like, very calmly, and then it just starts getting more agitated and more agitated, louder and louder. Yes, and the, the artwork mm-hmm. is always so, they look so menacing, you know? They're trying to charm you, but it's like, you know, just, there's just nothing right. Oh, man, we could probably go on about this all night. The, the last panel of the first page, I just remember, remember how we went back and we were going through and we were picking out all these little things that we figured out? There's, like, all sorts of Easter eggs especially in the first issue that leads you down the path of like the story of what's like what's to unfold it's really really interesting how they put like all these little things in there Howard the Duck issue number six written by Chip Zdarsky and Ryan North and Joe Conus with the art and a ton of other people Joe Rivera Mark Deering blah 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 etc 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 so I love Howard the Duck it is very I don't, I don't know if it's ironic that I live on a duck farm and I also love Howard the Duck. My husband would hate to hear that, that I love this this comic book. This is the finale of the crossover. Um, there was a crossover between Squirrel Girl and uh, Howard the Duck. So there's a couple issues, and they're calling them Animal, Animal House. So in the last issue, it was the crazy cosplay chick has been capturing. She's like almost like the collector in a way because ca- she captured Rock. She got Rocket Beast, that weird cat thing the Mecha Cat and Squirrel Weapon 2, which they do go over that in, in this book a little bit about the Roman numerals, which is quite hilarious. So it's basically the, it's the final story of this. You know, they get captured, they escape at the end of the last issue, and now they're, like, stuck. It's stuck in the forest, and it's, like, the most dangerous game where she's going to come and hunt after them. And she's, when I say crazy cosplay check, she's, like, actually making real, like, an Iron Man hand, and she's got, like, a Thor hammer, and she's got all this, like, crazy shit that she's built for her costumes, and she's going and hunting after them with using these actual things. She also has, like, Falcon's wings and a Captain America shield. I think that's, I think that's all of the, all the crazy shit she's built. Hunting them down in the forest, and... It seems like that some of them are somehow falling through the ground, like they're like getting captured and they're getting sucked into the ground. And basically, the only two that end up being left are Squirrel Girl and Howard. So, and the cat, the weird cat thing. And they they have him. It's like Robo Robo Kitty. Let's go Robo Kitty. <laughs> Whatever, Robo Kitty. So <laughs> doesn't I don't even know if we even needed any of that because it's just. This, the whole comic is so nonsensical, and it just makes me so happy with the nonsensicalness of all of this. Like, if yeah, you, I'm like, how many drugs were they on like, when they were lot. writing this thing? A lot. The best part of this is not even so much the story that's happening, it's the comments between the two writers at the bottom of the book. <laughs> that is the best part of this. If you hear them going back and forth and back and forth, it is freaking hilarious. They're talking shit about each other. They're talking shit, like, for one of them is like, why did I agree to write this book? And then, like, and finally at the end, he's like, okay, now I get it. I'm just kind of insane. My favorite thing was the the X-Men. They explained that, no, the X was not really, it doesn't mean X, it means 10, but it never caught on. Just this so, so, <laughs> ran, so much random shit. And at, at, the best thing at the end was when Howard and Squirrel Girl break in. I have no idea how many different characters that he basically stolen costumes from because now he has his own cosplay outfit that he I guess grabbed from all of her shit to try to break in and save everybody he looks like Darkwing Duck yes he's totally Darkwing Duck (laughs) the terror that flaps in the night oh my god however he has it looks like he has Wonder Woman's invisible last like the lasso (laughs) I I didn't catch that until you just said it oh my god 
I just saw the lasso, the lasso, and then what's the planet on his chest for? The comment, I think, from Chip was, um, very cool outfit that is in no way legally an issue. <laughs> Which is like, really? I feel there's a lot of Chip in Howard. He's writing himself almost as the character, because he's awkward and funny, and that seems to be Chip, in a way. Yeah. Howard, I love it. I continue to love it. I mean, the it's funny that this book... I think I've reviewed almost all the issues, and the one that we still like the best was the one where there was the clones, Socket and Linda. Like, that, I think that really solidified my love for this comic, and I continue to still love it. This Animal House crossover, not totally in love with it. The comments in the bottom made up for it in quite a huge way. Shower yourself in Howard's (laughs) words. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, I loved it. It was funny and zany and crazy. And, you know, like I said, it probably took a lot of drugs. Um, <laughs> I wasn't on drugs uh, as I was watching this disclaimer. But uh, no, I enjoyed it a lot. He, the, you know, the artwork's just simple and funny. And it was, it was great. Nonstop laughs. Seven out of five would do again. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to read it. I'm going to give it I'm gonna give it four uh, Darkwing Ducks because I'm still, I'm still thinking... It, that looks like it. It's almost, God, it's almost like a Captain America helmet, though. God damn it. I don't know. We're, we're going to still... I'm sticking with it. Nice. Crazy cosplayers. This uh, week I read The Haunted Mansion by Joshua w- Williamson as the writer. Jorge Coelho? Coelho, I think is probably how it's pronounced. I don't know. My Spanish is getting sloppy as I get old. That's the artist. Colorist Jean-Francois Beaulieu. My French is just as bad. Let's see here. And this was by Marvel. Totally killing it. It. This was yeah. by Marvel. Okay, so <laughs> this is a little bit lighter than a Clean Room was, uh, for starters. The way this one works out is this kid, Danny Crow, he uh, decides to go on a little adventure to find his grandpa's ghost in the haunted mansion that he'd heard from Madame Leota had told him that she that he could probably find his grandpa's ghost there. So it kind of like jumps right off right right in the beginning. Um, this is number two. You know, there's a little bit of backstory that wasn't that wasn't covered here, but it kind of just jumps right in in there. And Danny's going through the haunted mansion. He finds his way into this ballroom where there's a bunch of spirits that are you know dancing around and uh, having a good time. Pickwick's there. He starts talking with Pickwick and finds out that the spirits in the haunted mansion have actually got captured by this captain who uh, who's put like ghostly chains on all the doors and stuff normally the spirits can come and go as they please but the captain is uses evil dark magic to uh, keep them all locked up for his own nefarious purposes at this point it's kind of like goes it goes back and forth between flashing between the captain and Danny's story where he tells the story about his grandpa which was really it's kind of a you know a little bit of a tearjerker you have, you know, Danny tells a story about how his grandpa was his hero and kind of like taught him to be, taught him to be a dare, you know, kind of like be a, a little bit of a maverick and a little bit of a daredevil, but still to, to think straight, you know, and, and not be too crazy. His grandpa passes away, I guess. And then his grandfather died on the Matterhorn. Yeah. Oh, God, that's horrible. <laughs> what is wrong with you people? <laughs> it's Disney. <laughs> Yes, that's horrible. That's just, okay, uh, never mind. Clean room's out. Haunted Mansion takes it for the evilest story. There's also pirates mentioned in here, too, which is even better. So you have that part of the the story, which, you know, it was very cute. Uh, you have this part where the captain talks about how the captain died there looking for his treasure, looking high and low. So that's the reason why the captain's in there. He died actually in the mansion, which gives him some, like, powers that he's just discovered. So he's trying to keep all the spirits 
contained and locked in there while he's looking for his treasure. Eventually, Danny gets uh, mesmerized by a magic spell that's playing through the organ music in the dance hall, and he kind of gives in because, you know, there's the hot ghost ladies out on the dance floor, and uh, he's just having a good time. So uh, that's kind of where it ends up towards the end. He's, like, getting mesmerized by all this music, and he's kind of, like, starting to lose himself. For an adult, I think Haunted Mansion, as much as I did enjoy it, I think... This is really good if you got young kids. I mean, if you got young kids, this is perfect for them. And you want to introduce them to comic books, start teaching them to love this is great. The artwork's pretty decent. It's nothing to scream at, but it, it's 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 decent. It's kind of rougher than I usually like, but it's not bad at all. It's definitely got that, you know, that when you go to the Haunted Mansion feel to it. You know, they definitely do tend to capture a little bit of that. The story's pretty simple. Like I said, for it's probably something that you want to... You know, I mean, unless you're just a huge Disney fan, which I am, it might be something that you might want to think about. But I mean, it's it is a good, fun little story. Um, it's a nice start. Like I said, good for your kids. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Christina? I'm a huge Disney fan. I love the Haunted Mansion. I totally love all the nods too, because the ballroom that they're in is the ballroom where the shooting guys are, and this is exactly like it's funny how it looks, how they show the panel. It's like exactly like you're on the ride going by that room. Yes. I I'm just a huge Disney dork. I love it. I loved it. I love this. I love the um. What was the last one? The Thunder Mountain Railroad one. Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. Yeah, these are fun. I mean, yeah, they're probably not for you know not for everybody. If you're a Disney fan, absolutely. If you have kids who are of the you know the Disney age, the more not probably not like little little kids, but I'd say like eight and up, they'd probably enjoy this. I I enjoy the artwork because it's got the it it looks very ghostly. I think the ghosts actually look pretty cool. I'm a big fan of the uh, Madame Leota. That's one of the the head in the ball. It's, it's almost like he, she's his spirit guide in this, but she, we don't even need to see her in here. Yeah. Fun fact, the pipe organ in the actual Haunted Mansion is from the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Fun fact. Oh, really? Awesome. And I love that this it was in here. That is your fun fact for the day. I'm such a Disney dork. I know way, way, way. So I had to share that fun fact. I do enjoy this. I will continue reading it. I thought it was hilarious that at the end where he gets like totally entranced by them and he doesn't remember why he's here and he loves it and he's never leaving. So I, I wonder, I mean, that kind of, it's kind of grim almost in a way because they're like, yeah. is he going to die? Yeah, it's totally creepy. I thought. <laughs> uh, is he dying in there? Like, is he never going to leave? He's never going to eat. I mean, I don't yeah, think he... kids are going to get that part of it, but us adults are. <laughs> Find your grandpa's spirit the hard way, Timmy. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they're selling the hell out of this at Disneyland. Oh, like I said, I mean, I do, I did think it was good. It was a fun read. I also am a huge Haunted Mansion fan, so I did enjoy it. It brought back memories from the last time I was at Disneyland. It didn't do much for me, but I just think I'm just not in the. I'm, you know, I'm 37 years old. I'm a little bit outside the the target area for it. But it was great. Enjoyed it. Give it two and a half dueling gentlemen. I will give it three and a half ghastly ghosts. I'm actually glad that I got to choose first because my backup for my stars was going to be two and a half dead grandpas. Because oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm evil, ladies and gentlemen. I have Shaft, Imitation of Life, number three, from Dynamite Comics. It's written by David F. Walker. Art is by Dietrich Smith. So, Shaft, Imitation of Life. I've been a fan of the Shaft book series since we read the last arc. Well, I read the last arc, anyway. 
which was A Simple Man, and it was a, a great series. As soon as I read it, I immediately was waiting for the next one to be able to pull the next books and start reading. So when this series came out, I was really excited for it, and I've been really pleased since then. David F. Walker, when he writes this, and uh, the artist also, it feels like it is absolutely set in the 70s. It is firmly rooted in place and time in New York in the 1970s. It feels extremely authentic, which I think is really important when you're doing a Shaft comic. This is basically the story of Shaft being tired of having to work really hard for a living, getting shot at, and having to fight people. So he wants to take an easy job as a movie consultant. They're making a black exploitation film. But this is Shaft, so nothing is easy. Basically, they're in league with a, a mobster, although Shaft doesn't know this, who usually makes uh, like porn movies, which are cheap to produce and have a quick turnaround time. And he was told that black exploitation movies are basically the same way. They're really cheap to produce, and they don't take that long. But he's upset because it's taking longer, so he comes and he kidnaps the star of the movie, and Shaft now has to go up against the one person he's been trying to avoid by taking the easy job, which is this mob boss who's kidnapped this person. That's basically the plotline for the book. The good things about this, it has lots of, it has action and humor and very strong characters, and it's also a much deeper and smarter book than you might expect it to be. Uh, Shaft is very introspective. There's a lot of good observations on life, and I really enjoy it. What did you guys think? I think they're fun books. I enjoy it. I love the character. I like that the character like should kind of make him like really like human. Like he's actually like a definitely they show he's a good guy. Like when somebody says something like kind of like racially or sexually untoward, like talking about the gay guy. He's like, don't say that. Like, he's very, he's a he's a good guy, and he, they're showing that he's a good guy, and he has sex with uh, hot chicks. So you know, <laughs> I freaking love it. I love. I it's it's actually my guilty pleasure. Is I I'm a big fan of black exploitation films. I've been watching them for many many years, and of course, who is the king of that genre? But Shaft. I love this whole thing. It's a perfect uh, portrayal of Shaft from the movies, you know, and it just, I, I love it. Like you said, there's intelligent things that are being said, you know, intelligent commentary. I mean, he's reading the big black dick in the very beginning. Can you really go wrong with that? Like that just sets the whole tone for the whole thing. I freaking loved it. I mean, I, I just couldn't, couldn't get over it. Enjoyed every second of it. And what can I say? But, ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. It came to me, but this is how good it is. <laughs> I'd like to thank Isaac Hayes. <laughs> I want to give it four pimp coats, but it's not exactly a pimp coat. He just has a little fur. Just a little fur. I'm going to give it four honky motherfuckers. <laughs> that was my favorite scene right there when he's sitting there and he's having a conversation of whether it's better to say... You are you honky motherfuckers or you motherfucking honkies or something oh, like that. that. Hilarious. These are deep philosophical questions. Are. Okay, so we got good old Captain America standoff. This is by a uh, writer is Nick Spencer, artist is Paul Renaud. This is also Marvel, obviously. Duh, that's kind of an obvious one. Basically, the the setup on this one is that there are there's this town, ironically called Pleasant Hill, California, that I live right next to. I did well. All of us did. 
This is Pleasant Hill, Connecticut, not California. Not near our hometown, guys. Pleasant Hill is basically taken and filled with a bunch of supervillains where they are made to think that they have normal lives so they could just have a nice little little uh, life by this strange little uh, uh, omnipotent girl. That- Hobic. What's that? Hobic. Hobic. What's Hobic? Hobic. We're not randomly chanting at you. This one, uh, you've got, they, they're talking about how Cap had the super serum removed from him and then he got it back into him. So now he's big buff cap again. I had some great little banner between new Captain America who was previously Falcon and uh, and Bucky. That was some good stuff. Ha ha. Uh, Bucky always good for a laugh. Basically what happens is that they decide that they're going to go and they're trying to figure out uh, how to find the Hodor or whatever. Hobig or whatever she was. Hobig with a K. <laughs> the Kobig. <laughs> go big. Just call it go big. Yeah go big. Go big or go home. So they're trying to find this this omnipotent girl so that they can basically get everything back under control here. Uh, Cap realizes that the villains are definitely going to be looking for them. Then it cuts to this great scene between all the supervillains, and there's a whole gaggle of them, but they're basically hatching their plan, and it really reminded me of, like, flashing back the old-school G.I. Joe cartoons where all the bad guys are complete and total idiots and, and bungling over each other. That's exactly what I got out of this. Eventually, Craven uh, the Hunter, goes and decides hey I, I'm going to track this girl down big fat fight scene between Cap and a bunch of supervillains or well Cap Cap and Bucky I should say eventually it gets towards the end where Craven sets up his little trap for the girl and he, he sets up this he goes through and he's like setting up this stuff and they're like the other guys that are with them are like what are you doing he's like what else do you catch a little girl with a children's birthday party and we're just like oh my god and seeing Craven put that fucking birthday hat on I, I lost my shit. I lost my shit when that happened. That was pretty funny. So it was funny because it's like, once again, this is another series that I'm, I'm coming in on, brand new and fresh. And so I guess I was just kind of expecting uh, your typical serious, you know, superhero type comic book. You got Cap, you know, you got all these badass superheroes and badass supervillains. And it was just, it was really a fun ride. It was goofy. I loved it. They're pretty fun. You know, especially jumping right in, jumping into the deep end. I'd have to give it a, a, a good solid three birthday hats, man. What else could I do? I'll give it a three young caps, all young and stuff again. Much sexier. Second book with a Craven this week, strangely. Yeah, it's true, huh? The randomest. Yeah, in both ones, it kind of seemed goofy. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Christina, I made sure you got your American kaiju, so I gave you New Avengers. The only reason why is because of the kaiju. So it's new. the New Avengers. I guess we're at 10? Really? Is that right? Damn. Written by Al Ewing, uh, an artist is Marcus too. So the only reason I enjoy these books is because there is a big mecha robot punching a giant kaiju that, oh God, what does he say? What does he say? USA! USA! So hilarious. That is really the only reason I enjoy this. I don't really care about any of the other characters, I'm not gonna lie. I don't know who most of them are. I mean, I know some of the old characters. Like, I know who Hawkeye is. But after that, not, oh, not a whole lot. I, Sunspot? No. Songbird? Nope. I know White Tiger, and I know Power Man, not biblically or anything like that. <laughs> and what the fuck is Pod? <laughs> oh my god, that's hilarious. There's a lot of fighting, there's a lot of punching, there's Hawkeye gets... The the best part, I think, it was actually when Hawkeye got 
basically tried to be captured and he fights his way out of it. That was kind of the funnest part, I thought, of the book, other than the kaiju. And we do get to see the kaiju not being a kaiju anymore, which is creepy. The kaiju is made by some super, super, super serum with a little dash of, I don't know, wasabi and whatnot. Mm. We get to see him, you know, becoming a man again, and then he's all gone. So that was kind of, that that was, after that, I kind of stopped paying attention other than the, other than the Hawkeye part, because I still don't know who these people are. And they haven't, you know, encouraged me to find out more because there's a dude named Cannonball. I don't... Okay, I got to stop you right there because Cannonball uh, is one of my favorite characters. Both he and Sunspot are originally from the New Mutants, which was probably one of the first comic book series I ever read uh, back in the back in the day. So I know those characters. I love them. Uh, they're awesome here. And I really enjoy it and this series overall. So I think I disagree with you guys on whether you like the series or not. I'm on board this one. And I... I never, never read any of the new mutants. I know the old mutants, and I I know them because I watched the cartoon. That's where I first, first, you know, experienced the mutants. Godzilla in the face with an American flag on it. Yeah, <laughs> an immense three-story American flag. Oh, it was it was fun to watch some of this stuff. I mean, it was crazy goofy. The giant kaiju with the American flag all over it was just cracked me up. But um, yeah, I feel like I, so. Yeah, these are all jobber superheroes. I mean, it's kind of like when the writers started running out of ideas, and that's why nobody knows who the fuck these people are. You know, because nobody cares <laughs> unless you just really like them. And hey, more power to you. I'm not knocking you on that. But yeah, these are these are really just. I feel the same way as Christina did. It's they're the These aren't Transformers. <laughs> These are GoBots. Um, so, I, I just really... This was... It was really painful to finish this. This one I just kind of had to choke my way through. The art's not bad. It's it's your typical superhero fair art. Which, but, it, I mean, it's nothing that really stands out either. You know, it's... Of course, every once in a while you'll catch some goofy angles, jumpsuits on large breasticles. It just didn't really dig this one. I will give it to Ulysses. <laughs> he does say it once in here. I forgot. He does say it once when he's <laughs> morphing back to his piddly like, human. I'll give you like two Brooklyn Brawlers. Three Sam Guthries because I know his name. Oh, man. Yeah, we one more Marvel <laughs> special events uh, that we're reading right now, which is... So these are all the X titles is doing a kind of a standalone story about Apocalypse Wars. So each one is a, an Apocalypse themed story, but they're not related the same way that the Avengers stand on. Um, so this one is Extraordinary X-Men number... So this one is basically is the story of Colossus has taken what are essentially the new mutants now. So they're the students at the school have been sucked in through like this time portal. So all the mutants are, are dying from the, the impox and the, the Terrigen mist. So this evil geneticist has made uh, all these mutant embryos and was going to travel in time after all the other mutants had died so that he and his children would be the only like superpowered mutants there. But it, it, that didn't work so well. So basically Colossus and the kids get sucked into portal and then like a few minutes later the rest of the x-men like jumped through um but of course you know time is all distorted so it's been an entire year since between the two of them coming through so you get all these all these montages of the kids going from like world to world uh that apocalypse has taken over it reminded me a lot of like 
Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, where all the kids are going like through all the like the trials. So there's all these like hostile worlds that these these kids are going and having enjoyed their adventures. But I don't think either one of you guys did. There were some parts that I enjoyed. I actually liked some of the the Colossus, the uh, I guess, has become Artwork one of the kind of apocalypse. Fun some of them, along with the their version of Deadpool and Moon Knight. So now there's a big throwdown between them and the X Men. Uh, that probably will happen next issue. So that's basically if you like a lot of hijinks and different world, uh, you're going to get it in this one. I liked it. Gave it um, uh, three time four. So do you remember the episode, well, many, there's many episodes of Family yes. Guy where the, he, where Stewie builds the portal and they go to all these different worlds and they find all their different versions? This this was like that, but less funny. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's kind of how I related it. The, again, there was some great artwork in here, like the monsters and stuff like that. I thought it was really cool how Deadpool was drawn. The little troll dude Not was kind of funny it. looking and, and adorable. Yeah, I, I just... Uh, I'll give it On this one, I, you know, I hate to say it, but going back with my pro wrestling references, uh, so, okay, so if the last one was Brooklyn Brawler, these guys are a little bit better than the last <laughs> the, the last superheroes we had in the last series. Um, this is more like the Bushwhackers from the 80s. I don't know if you guys remember those guys from New Zealand. I mean, they're kind of like the, the goofy, like, it's like they're not horrible, but they're still kind of like, you know, they'll, they'll probably, like, get themselves some sort of title in, in at some point or another, but they are still kind of lame superheroes. I'm with Christine on this. I did love the artwork. A lot of pretty scenes. I think that the artist was really talented. The things that I could have done without, well, <laughs> I'm making fun of the superheroes, but, I mean, let's face it, all superheroes at one point or another are pretty easy to make fun of if you look hard enough. You know, one of the things that I didn't really like about the story on this was that I understand that they were, like, setting up this whole coming-of-age adventure, essentially, but I could have done without the day one... 123 day 208 all that where it's like they're just showing like little snippets of oh here's one of our adventures that we're not even gonna bother telling you about because it's not that interesting nope i would have rather have had a more substantial story you know it just seems like they were just trying to kind of like skip ahead straight to the you know oh they meet up with the x-men they've you know gone out and learned how to fight and gotten badass and they've gotten better and there's one guy that still looks like a the blob um not the i I never understand the blob other than being like transparent I mean, I guess he had, like, standard issues, superhero, strong and tough. Your superpower is that you're never going to get laid is what it is. And he even says it in the thing, you know. Generally gross. Just, he should, he should like, get slime some, or something like, yeah, like that. That'd be awesome. And, like, <laughs> but maybe, maybe he's comfortable yeah, with himself. Seriously. Maybe he doesn't need to. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe, like, a bodysuit or something? I don't know. Oh, he's comfortable with themselves that he, he's accepted his lame superpowers that the universe has screwed him on. Well, hey, hey that's a bonus naked. right there. Yeah, that's true. Unless whenever he's talking about who yeah, was it Jean that Grey. he had the hots for? Was it Jean Grey? Poor kid. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, it's slime motor. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> part of it was okay it wasn't really the story didn't really get me that much I'm a little bit too much uh flash forward it's like just flash forward to the fucking fight scene if you wanted to do that so i'm gonna give this one i don't know i'll give it like two and a half two and three quarters slime boners that's what i'm gonna give it oh god it was like we were going through all the generic superheroes this time i mean don't get me wrong i like to give new superheroes a shot i don't want to see yeah. superman and Batman and Captain America every single time. You know, we can give, like, the second-rate guys a chance. Oh, jeez. 
that's well, that great. one wasn't so bad. That one's bad, but the last <laughs> so, that, was, that was so bad. Yeah, the new Avengers one was so bad. I still don't understand what their tri- story they're trying to tell other than the American Kaiju is awesome. I still don't understand the story, honestly. <laughs> I don't know what they're trying to tell us. Is there going to be like something super awesome at the end and I'm not going to oh, pay attention man, and I, really I have to wait like until the There was a end. giant Godzilla. There was a mech suit. There was some of the new mutants. I liked it a lot more than you guys, I think. We don't harbor any ill will for that. Just know that Rory and I yeah, are, are I, I, I could sit here all day and come up with ways to back on this one. We are ruthless. <laughs> hey, but you know what? We still love absolutely, Marvel anyway. Absolutely. They still Just not this good one. Stuff. <laughs> there was a couple yep. of steamers. Yep. Alright, boys and girls. So those are the books we read this week. To check out our weekly pull list and other nerd shenanigans, go to check out fourcolornerds.com or our Facebook page or color nerds you can follow us on twitter or on instagram Stitcher. you can find the podcast on itunes just take a guess yes ding 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 sounds what loud left? and oh podcast right. yes. right. <laughs> make sure to subscribe to the podcast and be sure to come back next week for another episode until then keep reading nerds <laughs>